Hey guys, I just wanted to hop on really quick before this episode started and give a quick trigger warning and then also talk about a few other things. But first off, the trigger warning, we're going to talk about homophobia, religious trauma, specifically religious abuse towards queer individuals, cheating, shame, cults slash intense religious environments and abuse, religious OCD and anxiety, and deconstruction. And then um, in addition to that, I wanted to wish everyone a happy pride. Uh, I am recording this the evening of June 1st. And, um, just wanted to say that I hope you feel safe and validated and I hope that you feel like you're able to celebrate this month. Um, if you are not able to be out right now, I hope you still feel validated and, um, feel like you belong and, um, yeah, we should always celebrate, uh, members of the LGBTQ plus community, but, um, please remember to, uh, I guess look into your allyship and make sure that it's not just for the sake of social media and um, avoid giving money to companies that profit off of pride for literally only the month of June and don't do anything else for the rest of the year. There's been a lot of marketing campaigns in the past five years that really take advantage of this time. So be cautious of that as well. But to everyone who celebrates, um, Happy Pride, and I hope you're having a wonderful start to Pride. And then in addition to that, on a little bit of a less happy note, um, there was some culturally relevant news that came out today regarding um, survivors. The verdict of the Depp versus Heard uh, case was released today, and um, I'm not going to be addressing my opinions on the case specifically on the podcast nor on the blog. But um, I just dropped a blog post for The Lantern Project where I address the nuance of the case, not whether or not I believe uh, each person or going into the specifics or the logistics, because I think that's been kind of beat to death uh, in the public and in specifically like mainstream media. But rather, I go into the nuance of the case and specifically how it's harming survivors. And that kind of brings me to my next point. I just wanted to say publicly that if you're a survivor and you're feeling stressed or overwhelmed or burnt out on the media of this case, um, I see you and I hear you and I'm right there with you. Um, I have compiled some resources specifically for sexual assault on my page. They're under the highlight SA resources. I also have a link full of uh, therapy worksheets and therapy resources and mental health resources in my uh, in the link in my bio. Um, and I just wanted to kind of come on and say, whatever you're feeling is valid. There's been a lot of, uh, I guess, disagreement and strife with even within the survivor community surrounding this case. And I don't know about everyone else, but I know that it's caused me a lot of anxiety and um, it's been a really like, I don't know, focal point of my conversations. And I've been talking with my therapist about it because it's brought up some things that are triggering to me. And I just want to make it clear that um, this is still a safe space for you. I will not be going into who I believe or who I believe more than the other person. Um, I believe survivors, and that's that. And I don't think it's appropriate to pit against uh, one person or the other when both have expressed uh, experiences of abuse and both have evidence for that. So I won't be getting into it, um, but I hope that you know that I believe you and um, 
It's scary to see the public um, respond to something that is very sensitive to your personal experience in the way that they have. And I hope that you know that um, your trauma is valid, your experience is valid, and um, yeah, I I don't really know what else to say other than that. Take some time if you need to. I'm I'm taking a lot of time off of social media and specifically TikTok because I just can't I can't really stand to see people being so nonchalant about abuse and specifically treating it like it's a TV show and it's not. And so um if it's too much for you, please feel free to log off. I would encourage you to log off. Um and I have resources if you need them. I'm also here to talk. I'm I'm not going to shame you or um, come at you for having a certain opinion about this case. I think everyone is taking it differently. And um, you're welcome to your own opinion. I'm not, I'm not going to come at you or, or shame you for having that opinion. And I would encourage everyone else n- to do that as well. Um, there's been some serious backlash against people who have shared certain opinions. And um it's survivors coming at survivors as well, which I just, I don't fuck with. So, um, I would really encourage you to hold their survivors in your life really closely and try to support them because I think everyone is, is processing this a little bit differently. Um, and with that being said, I hope you guys enjoy this episode. We go into some really interesting topics. Philip is a fantastic individual and I had such a wonderful time speaking with them and, um, yeah, I hope you guys enjoy it. Hi, all, and welcome back to Mindful Minds. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today, we're going to be chatting about polyamory with Philip of the Dear Polly podcast. Um, I was just talking to Philip about the fact that um, this is probably a topic that is going to be interesting for a lot of people because a lot of my listener base is uh, ex-religious kids that Mm. we were not educated about any of this. Um, so it very well could be, uh, a topic that a lot of people are interested in. I've also had some people reach out saying that they are interested in learning more about it. So, um, to tell us more about it, we have Philip. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me on. I'm, I'm, uh, really glad to be here. Yeah, of course. Thank you for coming on. Um, do you want to give a little bit of an intro for yourself and tell us a little bit about you and the Dear Polly podcast and kind of how that all got started? Absolutely. So my name's Philip. I'm 40. I identify as uh, non-binary, pronouns they, them. Um, I grew up in an ultra, ultra religious uh, Christian background, and um, I have had a wild ride since my youth when I stepped away from it um, because I identified as gay at the time. And uh, dear Polly, came to be as a result of my last uh, relationship. My partner and I, we were open. I've always had some kind of issues with uh, sex as a result of a lot of the shame that I carried from my childhood. And so it was something that was always lacking in my long-term relationships. With my last partner, though, as a result of having learned with my, from my previous partner, where he cheated on me for most of our relationship, we opened it up in order to, you know, kind of get ahead of that whole aspect. And he fell in love with one of his play friends. 
And I was put into a position that is often referred to in the poly community as poly in distress, which means you're, you're frantically trying to figure out what poly is in order to save your relationship because it's either become poly or it's your relationship. And I, I dove in head first. I started going to therapy. I read The Ethical Slut. Um, I read uh, several different books. And at, the more that I educated myself on it, the more I began to see the values in it. And I, I, I really began to believe in it. And I, with a weird, ironic twist, as I became totally invested in this new way of life, this, this kind of new value system that I was adapting, my partner was making a flip. And he didn't want to be poly. He wanted one partner that would provide everything for him. And our relationship was not a sexual one, so I couldn't be that partner. So we dissolved the relationship in that dynamic. We maintained it as best friend soulmates. And he is now currently pursuing the relationship with that other individual. Um, Dear Polly came to be because as I was educating myself, I used two sources, books and podcasts. And I found that podcasts were a great source to be able to really find more than just like literary references to something you could hear how real people applied mm-hmm. these different theories and ideas and concepts and how they may have worked or not worked and things like that and i i loved that aspect but one thing that i kind of felt like there was a gap is that all of the formats were interview formats and so i would often have to listen to like multiple interviews before i would find a topic that was relevant to me at that moment. And so I wanted to create something where my listeners could truly engage with me and they could ask questions, they could present topics, and I could in the moment handle those and provide information and insight for them. So I took a rip off of Dear Abby and called it Dear Polly. And that's how it came to be. I am not a podcaster. Uh, I am not tech savvy and I have no education in terms of relationships and psychology, any of that. Uh, I'm doing it because I'm passionate about it. I'm passionate about helping people. And I, while I absolutely do not claim to know everything, I try my best to track down experts to come on and help me answer these questions and cover these topics so that you do my listeners do get valuable educated insightful information so that's where i am today i love that so much that's i think a lot of different podcast formats are not there's not a, a direct way to connect with the host or ask direct questions if you have a direct question and so that's a i mean Hey, like dear Abby worked. So like, might as well go with that. Um, but yeah, no, I'm, I, I'm similar in the sense of my podcast. Like I, it's very much so 
me learning alongside with people and like tracking down people that know more about a subject than I do and trying to gain insight from them. Um, because I very much so I'm like, I, I don't know everything about it at all, but I'm just trying to learn, um, which is very much where this comes into play. Cause uh, polyamory out of all the topics we've covered, I'm going to take a bet and say that this is probably the one that I am, I would say probably the most naive about. Um, it's something that I just recently started following some creators and trying to like learn a little bit. Um, I uh, have followed Bethany Myers for a long time. And uh, that was something that uh, started following uh, their relationship and kind of just, and that was kind of what I dipped my toe into a little bit. Um, but with that all being said, I think a lot of my audience is probably in the same boat. Uh, we talked a little bit at the very beginning of kind of some some basics, some verbiage that is important when talking about polyamory. So do you want to give a little tiny bit of a definition of what is polyamory and specifically, uh, I guess, what verbiage is important when talking about it and also what is it not? <laughs> Absolutely. So polyamory is a form of consensual or ethical non-monogamy. Um, the new term that is really trending right now is consensual non-monogamy. And I, I actually really like that because it puts an emphasis on the fact that everyone involved in it is aware of what's happening and consents to that happening, um, which is why I think that has become the term that's, that's being used a lot now, and I think it's going to probably be the term that becomes most common as we continue to move forward, and, and this focus on consent becomes even even greater. Um, but polyamory is where one person is allowed to and engages in more than one emotional and or physical relationship with more than one individual. Um, I personally really, really identify with that because as I've experienced in my past relationships, I think that there are times when you can have really incredible uh, uh, connections with an individual and it may be focused primarily around one specific thing rather than like all encompassing. So like my last relationship with my best friend soulmate, we had just an incredible emotional and mental connection, but the sexual compatibility wasn't very strong. And so I feel that if we had tried to have a long-term monogamous relationship, it would have been a strain on both of us. But in polyamory, it gives us each the permission to be able to explore a connection that could fill that gap with another individual. Um, so I don't know if I answered that question. No, no, you <laughs> totally did. You totally did. Um, and that was actually kind of one of the things that I was actually going to uh, kind of branch off to is the way that I had, I don't know if I found this on someone's account or what, but the way that I saw polyamory explained to me for the first time where it actually seemed to click a little bit was someone saying, do you have one friend that meets every single need? 
Like, do you have one friend that you go to about everything? And obviously you, you have your best friends, but is there one friend that checks all of your boxes and you can do everything with, and they're your absolute person and da, 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 da. And most of people's answers were no. And so kind of the comparison was, well, in polyamory, people feel that uh, just as they don't have one friend that meets every single need, uh, they don't feel either they prefer not to have a partner where they're trying to seek every need or they don't feel like it's as healthy or they just prefer having different partners that kind of almost have more emotional energy and time to devote to that one specific need compared to having someone like expecting someone to have all of the energy and all of the time to meet every need or just like, I guess, half meet every need. If you don't have enough time or energy where the needs are maybe not entirely met, they're kind of like half met or quarter met if it's one partner, because they use only so much time and so much energy you can give to someone and all these different facets of life. So that was the way that I had it explained to me. And I was like, Oh, that makes a little bit of sense. Like I, I kind of, I, I understand because I, I, growing up religious, I was like, "You are married to one person." Like, ha! And my brain kind of exploded when, especially when polyamory started talk, being talked about more in specifically social media, honestly. And I was like, "Oh, like some people that I follow, like this is what this is how they live their life." And it was just kind of like my my little like ex Christian kid brain was like broken trying to compute. <laughs> Was having such a hard time. I completely understand. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, I think you definitely answered that. I think that that makes sense to me. I know that a lot of people, um, which I guess you can kind of move into this. How did you approach it coming from a religious background? Like when you were first kind of researching and diving into it, was there, was there a lot of, uh, I guess, tension and like trying to, to learn how to because there's so much shame that gets put into you in a religious environment. And that is real hard to unlearn. Was that something that you were having to unpack and kind of like fight against? Cause I know that's something that a lot of religious people struggle with shame around sexuality in general, but especially um, more taboo sexuality that isn't accepted in the church. Absolutely. Um, it was very hard for me. I, I early on had already adapted a disassociation from sex and love. Mm. For me, you could have sex and it didn't necessarily require emotions. Um, and that's from some unhealthy exploration into sex at a young age, having had no education on mm. what sex was or how it was used or how it was supposed to be uh, a connection between individuals as a, as a result of having grown up ultra religious, where we also didn't talk about sex period. So uh, that's a whole nother topic for another time. But as a result of that, I was able to move into an open relationship relatively easily. You know, I had some insecurities, but I also, um, my partner and I were really good at expressing our love for each other. So that helped to soothe those insecurities in that aspect. But when he was telling me that he had emotional feelings for this other person. That's when it became like earth shattering for me, because in my mind, 
it was impossible to share love for more than one person. Like I couldn't fathom that that was doable. In my mind, love was finite. You only had so much. And if he had to give some to someone else, then that was less for me. And that that I was concerned about the balance of that. Did I have more than this other person? Or did I make sure that it was at least even? And, and, and all of that was incredibly traumatic for me. Yeah. It took um, quite a bit of therapy and a lot of educating myself through books and podcasts to to open my mind to the idea that, you know, love is not finite. Mm. And actually it's in a lot of cases almost limitless. And the idea that the idea that you can't love more than one person at the same time is just a simultaneously falls in line with our religious upbringing, but also is a complete contradiction to the way in which we live our lives. Like mm-hmm. if you have multiple siblings, you love all of your siblings. If you have two parents and everybody does, you love your two, unless someone passed away. Right. Um, but you know, if they're both living, you love both your parents in most cases. Yeah. You at least but, have, you know, at least you can often be capable of it. Maybe, maybe yes, you personally don't it. love them, but Thank like you. you're at least capable of loving. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I, yeah. <laughs> I, it's so easy for me to go on to say that. And then I'm like, oh, but there might be. No, I tracked. Uh, I know. tracked. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Thank you. So it's like when you when you start to realize those things, you unlock the possibility that you can make a connection with someone and love them. And it does not take away from someone else's. There's actually a little story that came from my podcast. And I'm going to share it really fast because yes, they gave do. me goosebumps the first time that it was told to me. Yeah, please do. One of one of my guest experts that was on, what we were talking about, um, you know, teaching people how love is not finite, that it is that it is not a limited resource. She sat on an airplane next to someone that was just a talker. And so they ended up, you know, connecting and um, she shared what it is that she does. And she's a therapist for most specifically ethically non-monogamous couples as they are exploring it or wanting to delve into it, that type of thing. This person identified as being monogamous, but completely understood what she's doing and respected her profession and shared that she had recently taught her niece, niece, granddaughter, a young girl in her family about how, how, what, what love is and, and how to share it. Um, it was not in the sense of, you know, being ethically non-monogamous, but it was in the sense of like giving your love to other people to, to brighten their day, to brighten their life. And she said that love is like the flame of a candle Mm -hmm. and that you can light as many candles as you want. And it never diminishes your own flame. Mm -hmm. And to me, that was like, I, I had never thought of that comparison and and the power of being taught that at a young age, that is so incredible. Like even if you're not ethically non-monogamous, just the idea that you understand 
the potential and power of sharing your love with people. That's just beautiful. That's absolutely beautiful. Yeah, yeah. That's a really interesting way to look at it. And that's something that it's interesting, too, that that's coming from someone who their intention was not to necessarily educate about non-monogamy, but it works. Um, and once again, I think, I think a lot of times if, if you are, if you grew up in a very monogamous environment, probably like you, you love more than one friend. And so I think maybe like I, I found comparing it to friendships really like meshes with my brain. Well, I guess, because that's a comparable thing that I have experience in that it's like, okay, yeah, like friendships. I've had a lot of friendships. Like I can compare this and it, it can make sense a little bit. Um, but with, with polyamory, we talked a little bit at the very beginning off, off the recording that there are some important differences and I guess misconceptions or misunderstandings about what polyamory is. So polyamory versus polygamy, what is the difference there? Like what, why are those two things, two different things? Absolutely. And I think it's really important that you bring up polygamy specifically because what I found when discussing polyamory with people that have uh, very strong religious backgrounds, they're either currently in or recently out of, every time we have a conversation about polyamory, they almost always immediately associate it with polygamy. And they'll even like plug that word in instead of polyamory. And the difference with polygamy and polyamory is that polygamy is quite often um, a male individual that has multiple female partners and it's almost always associated with a marriage or a, a marriage type ceremonial commitment to one individual so there's one person that's entitled to and allowed to have multiple relationships mm. whereas polyamory every member of the relationship is entitled to explore more than one relationship and that's really kind of the big defining difference between those two Gotcha. So there's, it's, it's not, polygamy is not an equal, it's not equal opportunities for both partners to be able to explore what they'd like to explore. I, that is, that is a very great way to say it. I, I, I struggle with using that terminology only because I don't in any way, shape or form want to make anyone that's involved in a polygamous relationship mm. to feel like I'm saying that somebody doesn't have a choice. Um, I feel like they they all have the choice to be involved in that. And, and those that do and love that relationship style and dynamic, that is great for them. Right, I, I right. definitely say that it does feel to me that it's a little one-sided. Okay. Yeah, fair. So what about uh, polyamory and non-monogamy? Is it kind of that non-monogamy is the umbrella and polyamory is like specific underneath it? Mm -hmm. uh, okay. Consensual non-monogamy is the big umbrella. And underneath gotcha. that, you have all of these different dynamics. And there's probably more than I can even name. Because the thing that is beautiful about consensual non-monogamy is that it is customizable to mm -hmm. those that are participating. You know, you have the power to make it your own. It doesn't have to be any set way, but there are some, there are some very common uh, different dynamics. You've got polygamy, swingers, uh, polyamory, solo polyamory. That's actually how I identify 
Um, I know there's more and I've just dropped What are the differences? So what's the difference between uh, solo polyamory and polyamory? So that's a good question. And, and, and that's actually, um, that's actually a great question because a lot of people, when I say that they're like, what does that mean? Um, yeah. <laughs> generally when I tell someone they're like, Oh, so does that mean you're just like a player? And I'm like, no, 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 no. It, I'm not a player. Um, but I, I have found throughout my life and especially in the last two years as I've dug into therapy and educating myself and, and, and undoing so much of the damage that was done in my childhood that mm-hmm. I have the tendency to lose myself in someone else. Okay. And so I have made a commitment to myself that I am my primary partner, that I put the importance of my personal time and my personal space as like priority number one. Yeah. So I don't, I don't refer to any of my partners as being like my nesting partner or my primary partner. There's no hierarchy to mine. Um, I'm, I'm my primary partner. I'm my nesting partner. I live alone. I have, I, I prioritize my personal time and my personal space. And then, you know, I coordinate and, and invite um, others to spend time with me, but it's kind of on my own terms. Gotcha. No, that, I mean, that's funny that the initial reaction is like, are you a player? Because to me, that seems just like a very healthy way to approach a relationship and to approach like being in interaction with other human beings. And I also feel like a lot of people who are monogamous also try to approach relationships like that and try to approach it in the way of like, I need to make sure that I am my number one, that I am the person that I spend the most time with that I, you know what I mean? Like that I, I like spending time by myself as much as I like spending it with my partner. I think that's a very common thread and often a very healthy uh, mindset, especially if you are someone who I, I've had experiences like that, where I, I have to take a significant of time off of relationships or off of dating and like kind of, it sounds quirky and kind of silly, but like date myself and like get to know myself again and find myself again because I can get very lost easily. So that, that makes complete sense. I see it. Uh, and, and, And when I say this, when I give this analogy, I think it actually really plays well with monogamous relationships, even more so than in polyamorous relationships. But I always say, yeah, if the analogy is, uh, if the airplane is crashing, you always put your oxygen mask on before you help somebody else with theirs. Cause if you're not alive, you can't keep them alive. So like, right. that's kind of my analogy. Yeah, no, that, that makes complete sense. So can I ask what the difference between, or not the difference, I guess, but you mentioned, uh, kind of a hierarchy and nesting partner or primary partner. So oh. in, a, in polyamory, is there traditionally a, kind of hierarchy of your partners do you have a specific primary partner and then other partners that are what would the I don't want to like side partners I guarantee is probably not the right terminology but that's the only way I can describe it because I don't know the correct terminology Um, what what would that be so I'm I'm actually going to kind of uh define some of the terms really fast first and then then I'll explain. Um, So a primary partner and a nesting partner can be the same person. 
Um, not necessarily uh, in, in all cases, but your, those terms represent your nesting partner is the one you live with. Okay. Your, your primary partner is generally whoever you were with first. So the longest standing relationship. Um, those are terms that are used in dynamics that recognize hierarchy. There are uh, relationship anarchists in the polyamory community. And for the longest time, I think relationship anarchists were kind of the minority. They were the, the, the small few that refused to recognize longevity as like having an importance over another partner. Um, relationship anarchists believe that all partners are equal. It doesn't matter if you're two weeks in or you're 10 years in. Like gotcha. the, the love and connection that we share is just as valid. Right. Um, so I would consider myself to be a relationship anarchist. And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to specify that I believe that only after having been a complete advocate for hierarchy. Because okay. when, when my ex introduced this other individual to our relationship as, you know, the, the, the branch off of it, we were a V at that point. Um, I was like, I was here first. I, yeah. like, I get priority. It wasn't until actually after our relationship was over. And I was thinking back in hindsight and I was looking at my future as being someone walking into someone else's relationship. Um, I felt, I actually felt a lot of remorse for having had that position because how is it my place to say that my love with my ex meant more or was more valuable than the love that they share. That is not my place. And, and I don't think that it is worth more. Like love is love. Mm -hmm. And I, after thinking back on that on hindsight, I was like, I will never do that again. I will never say that my love is worth more than someone else's or is a bigger priority than someone else's. As long yeah. as my needs are met, then I will be happy. Gotcha. Yeah, no, I mean, that makes, that makes sense. So what about what, if it is a hierarchical dynamic, uh, what are, what's the terminology for the partners that are not the primary partner? Just, is it just other partners? Secondary partners or other partners. Okay. Um, and then you mentioned swingers. Mm -hmm. What's the difference between swingers and uh, polyamory? Swingers are... Uh, physical relationships only. Okay. So you will have a sexual chemistry with someone and they will play and have fun, but you return home and, ha and maintain your emotional relationship with just your nesting partner, primary partner. Gotcha. Okay. Is there any other terminology that you feel like is important to kind of clear up right at the beginning here? I will throw one more term out in case I use it later on. But when okay. you have, uh, when you have 
multiple partners and like we'll just say like if i had if i had two partners and they each had two partners we you would and and we all like got along you'd call that a polycule i have no idea why polycule how do you spell that um, is it p-o-l-y-c-u-l-e i think it's an o-l-e o-l-e okay interesting wait nope you are right you c-u-l-e yep yep is that just like like a little family basically like yeah yeah it's like a molecule they're they're it's recognizing the branches off oh cool okay yeah i like that that's a cute word (laughs) it is a cute Um, word yeah it is a cute word uh okay what about um we've talked a little bit about kind of the benefits to being polyamorous and specifically the needs aspect of being able to have someone to fulfill a need and put more energy and more time and, you know, effort towards that need because they're not expected to fill, fulfill all of them. Um, what are some other benefits to being polyamorous and like, how is that different from a monogamous relationship? For me, and it's going to link back exactly to that exact, it's going to link back to that exact same statement, but kind of from a different perspective. But for me, it takes the pressure off of my relationships. Mm-hmm. I no longer have to expect that one person provides everything for me. So I can truly embrace that relationship for exactly what it is. And I can cherish it for the connection that is there without ever diminishing that connection because something else isn't being taken care of because I'm not expecting them to do that. I don't have to. Does that, I'm asking because of your religious background, did, did you grow up with perfectionism at all? Like mm-hmm. put on yourself? Mm-hmm. Oh okay. my God. Did that, yes. did that like significantly alleviate the, oh my the God. stress from perfectionism? Oh my God. It is, it is. That was the pivotal moment when I unlocked that realization. That was when I was like, it, it I was like, I'm home. Like this Mm -hmm. is, it makes me, it alleviates all of that pressure. It makes, it makes loving someone so much easier. It makes it more enjoyable. It makes it kind and gentle versus stressful and anxiety ridden. Yeah. Yeah. What about with your, you mentioned that your, um, relationship, like a previous relationship, uh, you experienced a lot of cheating and infidelity. Um, infidelity, that would be marriage, right? Is infidelity yeah. referencing marriage? Okay, well, yeah. cheating, cheating, I guess, or just, yeah. you know, that would be unethical, non monogamy, correct? Correct. Mm-hmm. So, how did that play into you entering a polyamorous dynamic? Like, was that something that, because um, I've heard a lot of people, on podcasts and stuff mentioning, well, yeah, I could never, I could never be non-monogamous because like I experienced, like I got cheated on. Like I really couldn't handle that. Um, is that something that you struggled with? Like at the beginning, was that kind of something that you had to grapple with? So the sexual aspect wasn't what bothered me at all. Okay. 
um, it was it was truly the idea of him loving someone else that was devastating to me. Um, because in my mind, you can separate love and sex. Right. In my mind, it was very possible and easy to have meaningless sex with someone. But I, it's not to say that that sex doesn't have meaning or can't, you know. No, but it's, po- I, I was the, I had a similar transition out of religion where for some reason that was an easy transition for me as well. I have a feeling it was because I watched it way too much porn as a child. <laughs> I have a feeling that that like really probably disconnected it for me a little bit. But like, I thought that transition was going to be way harder of like casual dating and just kind of like not being super invested in someone. And it ended up being like way easier than expected. And it just kind of was like, okay, this makes sense. <laughs> for me specifically, and I'll actually just throw in the little story as to why it was so easy for me to disconnect the two. Um, when I first began to explore sex, um, Mm -hmm. after my incredibly religious upbringing where I didn't know really what I knew very little about sex aside Mm -hmm. from the porn that I had watched. And, um, in my mind, I love my father so much, but, um, and, and he did so much to make sure that he provided for us, but he wasn't a very emotional father. Mm. And, and I wanted to be, this is all sounding so cliche. I wanted so badly to like be loved by a strong father figure, um, at a too young of an age. Um, I sought that out and I was, I had a rude awakening when these more mature men were engaging in sex with me, but then like disappearing afterwards. Mm. And I thought that the act of having sex was how I was showing them that I loved them. Mm but then they weren't returning it. So in my mind, I was like, there's just a total disconnect between the two. Like you don't even, you don't have to love to have sex. So you could just turn it off when you want it. Right. How that's, that's a, a really brutal way to experience that. And to, I guess, make that connection, like, to make the connection through seeking something out so desperately and really, really needing it and wanting it. And then to have the connection of like, okay, well, I guess there, there has to be some sort of disconnect because I'm not feeling loved. <laughs> so there must be a disconnect here. Um, and even if it's cliche, I think it's a very, I think it's a very common experience and it's, it, that's why it's cliche is because it's, it's widespread and valid, even, even though it might sound silly, but yeah, that, that makes complete sense. Um, what about what we were talking about? I'm trying to backtrack. We were talking about cheating. Yes, <laughs> we were. And, and we, we went on a, we went on a little journey. <laughs> we did. I'm not really sure where we were going with cheating. I don't know. I can can tell you, I can tell you that cheating was prevalent in my previous relationships because as a result of that experience in my childhood Mm -hmm. and, and 
something that I've only even recently still continued to unbury or unpack the shame that I have carried associated with just the act of gay sex. Like I identified that I was gay at a relatively young age, 16, I was out of the closet. Um, And even celebrating my sexual identity, if you will, like uh, saying that I'm, I'm, I'm gay, I still carried shame with the act of having sex. Mm. And so when you combine those two things, my relationships were not sexual. Like they would usually start out a little hot and heavy in order to like capture the person's attention. And then it would just like disappear. And I showed my love through being a provider by being, um, uh, a cuddler. Like I, my affection was, was G, you know, like G rated affection. That's how I showed my love. And it was, it was very, um, uh, most of it was like to, to do for them, to provide for them, to like, you know, make their lives better in some way, shape or form physically and in, in real life rather than through intimacy. And, uh, that caused cheating throughout almost all of my relationships. Mm. Yeah. What about, um, you mentioned that you've unpacked a lot of shame. Uh, can I ask how long you remained in a religious community? Was that, were you still in a religious community after you came out? No. Okay. No. So, um, I, my parents grew up in what some people would probably define as a cult now. Um, incredibly, incredibly legalistic. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they, they defined things by the way in which it was written. No room for interpretation. And uh, right. my, my parents had only met like once before they got married. Like wild Damn. shit. <laughs> I know. I know. Um So, uh, growing up, my whole purpose was, you know, God and, and how did I incorporate him in in my life and how did I serve him best? And at 15, I was, um, doing children's church. I was running a specific age group in children's church and I was training to be a youth minister and I had just started doing, my own sermons for the youth group. And oh God, oh, that just gave, gave me goosebumps. To say <laughs> I, was doing, I was giving sermons for the youth group. Wow, it's been a while since I've gone back down this memory, memory lane. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I had uh, a girlfriend in high school, and I'd, I'd actually had girlfriends throughout, but I'd also always had crushes on my best friends. And so I, I had never really realized what that meant exactly. Like, I just kind of thought you, you had both, like you were, you could love your best friend and also have your girlfriend. But then I had this girlfriend and she wanted to make moves on me. Mm. And so it was like, I was always cool with holding hands, but that's all we ever did. And she kissed me one day and I was like, what is happening? Mm -hmm. 
And I like ran away from her and I went home and then it hit me. And I was like, I don't love girls. Like Mm. I love girls, but I don't want to love girls. I don't want to be in love with girls. I love guys. And it shook it. Like it shook the foundation that like my whole world was built on. Yeah. I can imagine the city, the community that I was in was going through um, a revival in the assemblies of God churches at that moment. I'm an AG kid. <laughs> do, do you know Springfield, Missouri? That's the headquarters. That's where I grew up. Oh, God. The headquarters yeah. is there. Yep, it's I'm a an stunning kid. building. Their whole building is like covered in marble. Like all that's where all your tides go. Okay. In case yep, anybody's. Yep. I, I grew up, I'm in Seattle, but I grew up in an AG um, elementary, middle, high school. Oh my so God. K through 10, I was in an AG school. And then I actually went to an AG college as well. So I was oh like, Oh my God. Yeah. I was AG, AG, AG. <laughs> Indoctrinated all the yes. way through. <laughs> yes. Oh literally. my God. And I, I entered college like six months in and I was like, Oh, <laughs> I think that maybe I don't believe in this anymore. And still like had already committed to the financial commitment of the college. And so had to kind of just like stick it out for the next like two and a half years. Um, but yeah, no, I was AG like all, and I, I, my school and church were connected. So I like AG school, AG church and same from same morning to night. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the, the, with that. <laughs> the city was going through a revival. Mm-hmm. And so I decided I, I, you know, growing up that way, you, you truly believe, you truly believe so much of what you're told. And so oh, yeah. when, when I realized that I was gay, but it was a contradiction to everything that I was told, I struggled with believing that God would create me in this way and then also condemn me to hell. Yeah. And so I spent several days. It was probably like five days. I would go to a different church and I would go to the altar and I would pray the gay away. Mm. I would pray that he would take it away. And I vividly remember the last day that I was, I was there. I can even tell you the church I said, praise assembly. Um, <laughs> I was there and they had just gone through a remodel. It was a gorgeous church. Um, So I was at the altar and I was bawling and I made the decision that if God wasn't going to change me and, you know, we all know he wasn't going to, that's like not how it works. um, (laughs) Then I was going to walk away. I was done. I wasn't, I wasn't going to allow myself to believe that I was made imperfect or wrong. Mm. And I did, I, I walked away and I have literally not thought twice since now it doesn't mean I haven't had to unpack all the damage and I haven't carried all of that with me through most of my life. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, I felt very similarly actually when I like left because I, the actual act, like the decision to leave, I actually felt extremely confident in it was the aftermath of losing my whole community and losing my friends and having the grief there where there was no regret, but it, it, there was a lot of grief. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then unlearning, that is a really beautiful way to say that. 
Thanks. Yeah. Just, it wasn't regretful. Like it was, it wasn't like, oh, I wish I hadn't done this because there was also an incredible, um, weight lifted off my shoulders. I have OCD and I would really have a lot of anxiety about, um, feeling like if I didn't do all these things, I was doomed. And I had a lot of anxiety about, um, my church was really big with, um, scriptures and reading the Bible and journaling and doing Bible study. And I was only, you know, 15, 16, 17. And the anxiety of feeling like I had this long to-do list of things to do, or I was going to be doomed, fed into my OCD really bad. Um, And so I actually felt a huge sense of relief exiting, but it was just the like, no one, because it's such an untouched thing. And only recently in the last like five years, have there been communities that really actively talk about deconstruction and leaving the church in the aftermath of that. Um, but that wasn't a thing at the time. So that was something that the grief of it, specifically the community, you are not, it is, it is very shocking to go from having a really significant community, having always having people to do things with and hang out with and support you. It's amazing. And I would say rather contradictory how quickly that support disappears when there is a disagreement on values. I think it's very surprising that that is gone in an instant, despite the the preaching of the eternal love. To me, that is very contradictory and it was very hard to cope with because if you really look at the Bible and you look at what it preaches, it preaches love and it preaches compassion. And those were values that I really took to heart. And that was one of the reasons why I left was because I felt like the church was not living up to those values. And I continued to try to live up to those values and me leaving funny enough, like the church didn't live up to those values. And so that was kind of like an extra confirmation for me where it was like, well, this is not where I'm supposed to be because I really take it seriously when I'm told to love someone and to be empathetic and to care for them. Like I take that to heart and it didn't feel like that was reciprocated because when I needed support, even though my values were different, the support was nowhere to be found. (laughs) So it's a very interesting, interesting like line to walk because it's it's quite shaky. Oh yeah. With, really no foundation. Yep. Yep. It's, it's very interesting. And it's, I was just explaining actually to my mom, we were talking about religion and I was explaining to her that I actually feel so much more relaxed and, uh, whole than I did when I was, and I was, I wasn't the kid that went to church every few weeks. Like, and I think that's a lot of people that I know that were Christian kids that were in it like in it deep, like spent all their free time, like spent, it was like, no, this was my life. I, I, there, it didn't, it didn't not work because I didn't put enough time or effort or energy into it because I did <laughs> like this thing was my life. And it also is it, there's a lot of grief of putting all of your effort and energy into similar. It's like if you pick a career path and you put all your energy into that and it fails and it doesn't work out, like there's a lot of grief in that. And that's the one thing that I wasn't quite prepared for was the grief. I, I, I was expecting backlash. I was expecting, you know, to lose people. But the grief of that was like a slap to the face. I was not expecting that at all. I get that. And I'm sure it's even more so when you're coming out because I didn't leave because I was coming out. I just left because I didn't agree with the values. And there's a whole different level of shame that comes with 
coming out and the the response, especially with NAG, when it comes to anything but straight, <laughs> there there's a whole new level of shame. My extended family, I didn't see them for eight years after I <sighs> came out. And even that last time I saw them, well, I, I say last time, even that time, that first time that I saw them after having come out, um, they still tried to pour some fucking salt on the wound. Pardon my language. I'm sorry. And oh, I was you like, hear my podcast. The language. <laughs> okay, good. I'm worried about language. Okay, good. I was like, and this is why. This is why. And the last time that I saw them, my crazy aunt. We literally call her crazy aunt. I'm not going to say her name in case some for reason, wild reason, she might end up hearing this. But <laughs> we lit. Everybody calls her crazy aunt. Blah blah blah. Um, I was. It was a funeral. It was my grandfather's funeral. And she walks up to me and she says, are you okay? And I was like, I mean, I'm, I'm going to, I'm doing okay. You know, like grandpa died, but like, I'm going to be okay. Yeah, she I'm was processing. Like, she was like, no, I mean, are you okay? And I was like, oh, you mean like my life outside of here? Yeah, I'm doing great. She said, no, I mean, are, are you okay? And I was like, at this point, I'm like, what are you, what do you even mean? Like, where yeah, are like, you going What are you trying this? to communicate? <laughs> And I guess she sees the confusion in my eyes and she was like, I just want you to know that I pray for you, you specifically, every morning and every night. And I was like, okay, good for you. And she was like, no, like I, I pray for you. I was like, okay, good for you. Like, yes, I get it. You pray for yeah, me. <laughs> good for you. Thank you. Like, I wish I was witty enough to have like had something to say back, but I was actually so caught off guard by it because I'm at someone's funeral. Yeah. And you want to tell me you're pre like that. That's how, that's just how crazy and extreme it gets in it. Like, I just can't, I have, I have no room for that. None of it. Yup. 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 Yeah. <laughs> I relate to it. I, uh, yeah, the, and it's interesting too, because in my, uh, I, I wouldn't even say I'm in deconstruction anymore, to be honest, because I think I've deconstructed and I've now reconstructed a life that just doesn't involve religion. Um, so I, I wouldn't necessarily like say that I'm actively in deconstruction. I think I've broken down the things that I need to break down at this point. And there's still shame that lingers, but I don't think that that's something that I need to deconstruct as it is as much as that I need to just heal from it. But I, I was in a, I've, I've luckily got to the place where I'm I'm not a ball of anger anymore because I was for a really long time. Um, and so much of it just, it, yeah, it, it's one of those things where I understand that for some people, religion is something that gives them a reason to be here and it gives them a reason to wake up in the morning and it gives them a purpose. And I don't necessarily see anything wrong with that. I see things wrong with if your religion is actively oppressing, harming, shaming, um, isolating groups of people, then that's not just something that you're trying to seek purpose and value in. You've now branched out into actively hurting other people in the name of some certain value. And that's the part that I don't fuck with. Like, 
if, if, if religion and God is the reason why you wake up and why you stay here and you choose to live life every day and you feel like it gives you purpose and it gives you, um, you know, it gives you joy, like fucking go for it. If you're actively harming people, that's when I'm like, okay. And also like, I'm never going to be involved in organized religion again, but I do, I do understand the seeking to have some sort of purpose and some sort of plan outside of just kind of aimlessly going through life and feeling like you don't have a purpose and there's no one in control. Cause that can be really anxiety provoking as well to feel like it's just you and not understand why you're here. I understand seeking that out and finding joy in that and finding comfort in that as well. Um, but yeah, the, the oppression, <laughs> the oppression is what I don't, <laughs> don't quite jive with. <laughs> uh, I, I completely agree. I like to use very specific terminology when I speak to it. I like to say that I have no issues with spirituality. Mm, yeah. I, I celebrate a person's like pursuit of spirituality. Go for it. If it gives you a sense of purpose and feeling of, of uh, you know, not being alone or, or a drive yeah. to do better or be better, then by all means, pursue that spirituality. I have yet to see a single religious community that did not demonstrate 100% hypocrisy. So I don't, mm. I don't believe there's a good religious community out there. Somebody can prove me wrong, by all means, do it. I'd love to see that. I'd love to see that. I've never seen it in my own, with my own two eyes yet. So I like to define those very differently. Yeah, I know that's totally fair. Um, well, we're kind of at the end of our time here, but I do want to give a chance um like one last little question um if there were any myths about being poly that you wanted to take a few moments to kind of play myth busters <laughs> what do you think are some common myths or some common um even just misconceptions or misunderstandings about being polyamorous and why is it important that um society corrects those in their own minds and kind of unlearns those. I have one. I'm, okay. I, there's just one that comes to mind. And I think it's the most important one. And I think that so many people that are on the outside looking in that, that have, that are still playing into so many of the societal norms that we're raised to believe because religious or not, we are, we are indoctrinated with the idea that you marry one person, you have one relationship. That's religion or not. Right. Right. So many people looking in, looking out from the outside, looking in, think that polyamorous people are sex driven. We're like sex crazed people. We just want as many partners as we can, that it's all about the sex. And I think that that's the biggest myth that I would like to break. I'm not going to deny that sexual freedom is very much uh, woven into the fabrics of the, the polyamorous community because we're giving ourselves the permission to pursue happiness and pleasure. But it is not the foundation. I mean, mm. what the foundation is connection. It's not feeling alone. It's finding an individual that makes you happy and fills a need. It's about filling our needs. 
and 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 not putting pressure on people to do so that don't, that don't have the skills. So mm. that's that's the core. That's the foundation. At least that's the way I see it. I'm I'm like speaking for a whole community right now. Don't like hold don't hold me to that. But that's yeah. how I see it. And and I think that's the biggest misconception is that it's all about sex. It's not all about sex. It's about needs. It's about being a human with a need and finding someone that you can connect with that sees it and can meet that. That's what it's about. Yeah, I love that. And I, yeah, I do think that that is definitely a misconception that I have heard in even pop culture and media. And that's definitely something that gets circulated a lot. Um, well, thank you so much for coming on. I'd love to have you back on at some point because I feel like we barely scratched the surface of all of this. Oh my God, I know. Um, <laughs> and I also feel like we have very similar backgrounds and very similar paths, which is very fun for me. I always like when I find someone that like, I really feel like I connect with on that, uh, that front, but thank you so much for coming on. I really do appreciate it. I am honored to have been on here and, and, and I feel exactly the same way. I've been on many podcasts. Not once have I revealed this much about my past and I, I just feel really connected to you. And it felt very natural to share. So thank you for, thank you for having me. Yeah. Thank you so much. Well, I want to give you a chance to plug anything you have to plug, um, potentially your podcast and other things. <laughs> it's really just my podcast. Um, you know, uh, check me out. It's dear Polly with one L not two. So it's like polyamorous, uh, not like Polly, the name, um, outside of that, that's it. I, I have a series within the series uh, called Kinked, where I'm trying to allow people with specific sexual interests to speak about it, um, to just help kind of normalize the idea of sexual exploration. Um, you can listen or not. There's no judgment either way. Um, but those are, that's just really it. Just me, you know, trying to fight the good fight and let people be themselves and yeah. explore life. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then your your Instagram tag for that is at Dear Polly Podcast, correct? With one correct. Uh, my sure. website, my website, my um, Instagram, and the podcast title on whatever platform are all the same. It's all Dear Polly Podcast. So perfect. And then just dot com for the website. Yep. Awesome. Okay. Well, I will put all that in the episode notes so that people know how to find you and your content. Um, but thank you again so much for coming on. I really do appreciate it. And I feel like this was a good kind of dip your toe in if it's something that someone was interested in, but maybe felt a little nervous to explore or a little bit nervous to even approach the shame that comes with it, um, especially ex-religious kids. One last thing that I'll plug, though, is that like if somebody is listening to this and they are curious about something, they have a question, a topic, anything, they can uh, reach out anonymously through my website. I have an anonymous like like question portal. Uh, you can you can type in whatever fictitious name you want, you know, <laughs> and then and then submit a question. Uh, or you can reach out through Instagram. You can DM me. I'm I respect everyone's privacy. I never share anything, but I'm, you know, I'm here to help. I'm I, what, whatever you need, reach out. Yeah. I love that. Well, I will put that in the episodes notes as well. So people have that, um, that access, 
But thank you again. And like I said, I would love to have you back on and we can dive even deeper into this because I we we really barely got into it. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'd love to. This was a great time. Thank you so much. Thanks. Well, that's all the time that we have for today. Thank you guys so much for listening. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please rate us five stars on iTunes and leave us a review. You can also rate us on Spotify. They just started uh, providing ratings. And you can follow the blog on Instagram at Serafina blog and visit us online at serafinablog.com. And as always, to end our time, unclench your jaw, take a deep breath, and remember, you can always learn, you can always grow, and you can always choose to live, live your life in a more mindful way. I will chat with you guys in two weeks.